Hello, everyone, and welcome to this very special edition of the Napoleonic Quarterly as we take a time to reflect and review uh, Ridley Scott's Napoleon, uh, the film that we have eagerly anticipated, and now we will need to have a little bit of group therapy about. Um, <laughs> so that's why we're here today. Uh Folks listening at home, we want to remind you that episode 33 is well on the way and should be up on the Patreon for our Patreons on December 3rd, and hopefully with a more wide distribution date for everyone else on December 10th. Uh, and so if you're listening to our podcast, that is our upcoming schedule. I should have the video with the headlines uh, ready to go for December 3rd. And uh, I'm excited about that. I've been working on that. It's about half done. Uh, and if you're enjoying the Napoleonic Quarterly, uh, please do go ahead and leave us a review uh, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you happen to be listening. We're now on Audible and Amazon in those locations as well. So anywhere you can uh, leave us some feedback, we'd love to have it and we'd love to hear from you. Uh, in the recent episode of Napoleonic Questions, which came out last week, I know they reviewed some of those nice comments that were left by listeners. So thank you for those and, and we appreciate it. My name is Bernie Campbell and I'm here today on behalf of Alex Stevenson. Uh, and we are here with several of our panelists and guests and several of our patrons uh, to kind of talk through uh, the Napoleon movie. Uh, and uh, I'll, I, my plan is to kind of go around the table and let everybody give out their impressions. I'll share a little bit about my experience. I went at 11 o'clock on the morning on Wednesday, the day I came out here in the States, um, uh, which was the day before the Thanksgiving holiday in the States for listeners in the States. There were about 20 of us in the theater, uh, which is well under capacity. But again, it was 11 o'clock in the morning and technically it was still a work day for a lot of Americans. Um, my initial thoughts were that it was over ambitious by half uh, in the sense that it, it glossed over so much. I think of it as a perspective of a teacher. If I tried to show that movie to a student, I don't know they would have come away with any greater understanding of Napoleon uh, after they'd finished the movie than before they went in, because there was just so much that got left out uh, to focus on things that maybe some of us would think really didn't need to be in there. Um, you know, there was, uh, you know, and I, I said this to someone, uh, Napoleon is a figure that you like him or hate him. He's got to have enough charisma to fry an egg on his forehead and the portrayal that I saw, I wouldn't follow that man to a bus stop. <laughs> so um, those were some of my, uh, it jumps around so much. Um, I also, and, and Charles will appreciate the, the complete, I, I took a lot of notes because I was sitting in the back row of the theater and I couldn't, and I wasn't disturbing anybody. If I had my note app up on my phone, there was empty seats as far as the eye could see on either side of me. I didn't count one mention. The word Spain was never uttered in the entire film uh, that I could remember, um, which is like, how how do you make a film about Napoleon without mentioning Spain? So those were my initial impressions. I have others, but I'm opening. going to open the floor. Does somebody want to go ahead and share uh, their thoughts first as we kind of go around the table here and talk about what they thought about it before we have a generalized discussion? I'm looking for hands. Josh? Yeah, I, I'll, I'll jump in first, whatever it's worth. Um, I First impressions were... Not positive. Uh, 
I, I I came out of the the cinema. I saw it at about four on the day after it came out. There were about six people in the cinema, and um, I wandered around the the shopping center where the cinema was, just trying to figure out what I'd just seen. Literally, I was like a zombie. I was wandering around <laughs> trying to get my thoughts together. Um, and my 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 feeling at the second is just it's a weird movie. It's very it's very weird. Um, and the problem it has many problems. Uh, we've been sort of chatting about it on online all week, and I I actually messaged Alex pretty quickly after the uh i left the movie theater actually <laughs> trying to figure out if anybody had a clue what was going on um and the, i think the biggest problem it has is that it 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 tries to show napoleon's life but it doesn't show as napoleon all right uh so josh thank you for for your initial impressions alex i know you must have had some uh since when i texted the group chat to say I'd just gotten out of the movie and there was a lot to talk about on Sunday. You said, go have a drink. You had two. So, uh, Alex, you want to share your thoughts? Uh, well, I had the fortune of, uh, attending an early screening. Um, uh, I guess that's <laughs> one, one, one advantage of, of, of being a faculty member that I was able to take off, uh, some time. Uh, and, uh, I think the best, Think about that screening was that my colleagues, who've been running a long term, a long time prank on me, uh, because I have a, 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 a wonderful um, uh, colleague of British who teaches British history, and uh, several weeks ago, I uh, waited for her to while she was teaching about uh, 18th century British kind of period. I dressed as Napoleon, uh, hacked the audio system, played the Imperial March, and paraded in her classroom. Well, <laughs> she she waited, uh, and uh, when she learned that I was going to the uh, movie to see the early kind of for this early screening, um, she and about half a dozen other colleagues came dressed in British uniforms and sat behind me. Uh, so, uh, overall, I think that was the most enjoyable part of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, we, 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 we certainly had uh, plenty of uh, grumbles and, and um, complaints along the way. Uh, and, and like Josh, I don't know what to make of the movie in the, in the sense that setting aside historical inaccuracies, I don't think the movie works on entertainment level. Um, I think the script is not there. Um, it, it's it's not connect. It, it, it didn't connect with me. The story was too too simplistic. Um, I, I wrote a review in for a French press, and I, I I know that there that the script felt like it was a Cliff Notes version of Napoleonic uh, history. Kind of can uh, you know? Here are the key battles. Uh, we'll we'll look only at three. And here's the woman that he supposedly loved. Um, uh, there, there's nothing else, no substance to show. And, and of course, uh, we can hopefully dig into the history, kind of the side of the historical inaccuracies. Um, but even the people who came with me, right, who were not Napoleonic historians, even they were uh, quite disappointed. All right. So, 
so far, uh, not looking well for Sir Ridley here. Uh, others who might like to chime in on their experiences. David, did you get a chance to see it yet? Uh, yes, I, I saw it on Wednesday. Um, it was... Um it it did hold my attention, but it was more because I was um, I was wondering what was going to come next that they were going to get wrong, <laughs> and um, I kind of I've watched quite a few of the review videos and that sort of thing, and it seems the people who aren't um, military historians are um, they kind of divide into two groups. You you get the the, the 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 men who were in the audience with with me as we came out, a lot of them were talking about the battle scenes, and you're thinking they weren't great, <laughs> um, but they were quite taken with that, and I suspect there may be it, that may generate more interest. Um, the women that were there didn't really seem to have much to say about it, um, but a lot of the a lot of the review videos, and I would agree with them, uh, it, it's it's kind of built around this relationship with Josephine, but it's uh, it's just so fake. I mean, I I said to, I said to Alex when when the second trailer came out and when she's um, when, when Josephine's there doing a sort of Sharon Stone bit and she says, uh, if you look down here, you'll get a surprise. And I thought, what, you mean you're a bloke or something? <laughs> it, was, it was kind of... It, it, the the idea that he was doing everything to please her, yeah, okay, we'll make it a film called Napoleon and Josephine, and I think that's probably what would have gone down best with a lot of people. Charles, you uh, keep flashing in and out on our camera screen. Are you able to uh, chime in with your thoughts? Uh, I don't know if you've seen it. I heard you were thinking of boycotting. We may have lost Charles for the moment. We may have lost Charles, unfortunately. Uh, hopefully, yeah, he'll I, be back. I, I do agree with uh, David, though. Uh, it, the, the, the in quotes love element of it is the cringiest possible thing they could have done. I do not understand. <laughs> yeah, now I was very, and, and that was actually something I wrote in my notes when I was taking notes on the film is this, 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 this very weird sort of. Uh, psychosexual political angle of the relationship between Napoleon and Josephine felt like something that had been created out of whole cloth by the director and the, the screenwriters. Cause I, I'm, I admit that I haven't read all that many biographies of Napoleon and Josephine. I've read a lot about Napoleon's career and, and I know the basics of his love life, but I just didn't, it never got the impression that 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 was the relationship between Napoleon and Josephine. I knew they were fond of each other, but it just seemed very odd and very forced. I mean, the entire movie is is practical fabrication almost. I mean, as as a histor as like a historical biopic, it's a joke basically. There's borderline no point in talking about it in terms of historical accuracy, which is weird because it's called Napoleon. <laughs> but um, the, the and that extends actually to the the romantic element, the relationship between Napoleon and Josephine. I do not know. I, I sort of understand from a very simplistic angle why he loves her. I do not know why she apparently falls in love with him. Uh, from the film standpoint, not at all. Like like I said, he has no the the performance, and I don't know whether this is is uh, Phoenix or it's the direction. Uh, by Sir Ridley Scott, 
there's no there's nothing to the character like it just sits there and broods all the time um and sort of stares off into space um there were many directions i thought they could have gone with with that interpretation um there were a couple of moments where they talk about uh early in the film uh this sort of sense that uh He's speaking with his brother, Lucian, about, you know, they're going to think we're just, you know, Corsican Hicks. And then that never goes anywhere. Like, there's there's nothing, there's no payoff to that si- that story. It's, it's almost mentioned in passing. And it's like, you could have done a lot more with that, I think, from the perspective of a storytelling standpoint. And then there was several moments that, you know, his mother came into the story uh, in the film. And there was never really any payoff with that either, uh, from a storytelling standpoint. So there were a lot of empty threads. Um, others, uh, that, uh, could chime in. I know we've got several of our patrons here today. I'm going to invite you to perhaps share if you've seen the film to share your, uh, thoughts as well. Um, somebody want to introduce themselves and jump in and say hello to our listeners today. Charles is back. Oh, Charles is back. Charles yeah. is back. All right. Well, we'll go to Charles first since he's back. Uh, we were kind of waiting on you to return, Charles. But Charles, have you seen the movie or did you boycott? Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, fast, fast my voice, Ellen Bannon. Um, yes, yeah. I, 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 I boycotted it. Um, the trailers were made it quite clear that it was going to be awful. Um. And frankly, I've got no desire to um, risk a coronary for the sake of, of, of Ridley Scott's bank balance. Um, everything I've heard, um, you know, from all the good people who have wasted their money and gone to see it um, and wasted their time, as, as somebody said to, said to me, you know, who, who, who did go and see it, you know, don't go. That it's two and a half hours of your life that you'll never get back. Um, and everything I've heard suggests that it's a travesty, a disgrace. Um, what the Spaniards would call a poqueria, which means, well, what it literally means is a what for. You know, what is the point of it? What was he trying to do? As far as I can. The most interesting review I read, and I have read lots of reviews, of course. The most interesting review I read um, was that by Andrew Roberts, whom, as you all know, I loathe and despise. But he was scathing and and, and saying that, um, you know, Napoleon was portrayed as a bad man, an evil man. And, and no attention was, uh, at all was paid to the glories of the empire and, you know, the Code Napoleon and all the wonderful buildings in Paris. And if only what were, you know, Napoleon had won the Battle of Waterloo, you know, everybody would have lived happily ever after and sort of, I don't know, basked in reflected glory or something. I don't know. Um, and, that, and that struck me as being interesting because the impression that I'd had was that Napoleon was being heroicized. Um, and actually, the feeling I've got um, from what, I, what I've heard is actually we have you know, quite a sort of dark, quite a brooding Napoleon. Um, 
and Ridley Scott is, you know, is on record in the past as, as saying that you know, that uh, you know Napoleon was a was a butcher and responsible for millions of deaths. Um, Andrew Roberts was was kicking off about people, you know, comparing him to Napoleon. Well, no reputable historian would compare him to Napoleon. I certainly don't. And whenever it's come up in discussion, um, either on the Napoleonic Quarterly or elsewhere, I mean, I th I firmly scotched the notion. I mean, there's, there's no comparison. Um, but so I just I just think it's a, a by all accounts a terribly bad film. Um, it's quite clear that there are endless historical howlers. I mean, for God's sake, um, Baker rifles with telescopic sights. <laughs> really? You know, it, why, it's, why it's, did you... it's much worse than that, Charles. It's literally a telescope strapped to the barrel of a Baker rifle. It's not it's not even clever. <laughs> well, I mean, what can I say? You know, I mean, I mean, it, it set itself up as a joke, and, and I and I sincerely hope the thing pans at the box office in in the way in which it deserves. And the last thing I would say is is that, and I have to be open and honest about this. In one sense, nothing was ever going to to, to swing it for me, because Joaquin Phoenix isn't Rod Steiger. I mean, I mean, Lord knows I am critical of the film Waterloo. I mean, I really am critical of the film Waterloo. And, and I will pay Ridley Scott's Napoleon the highest in, of high compliments in, in that it actually makes Waterloo look good, which is you know, a considerable <laughs> achievement. Um, yeah, but but, you know, to me... Rod Steiger, Rod Steiger's performance as Napoleon was just unbelievable. Um, or rather, it was very believable, however you want to say it. So, um, in a sense, Ridley Scott was always on a hiding to nothing with me. Um, but then that's because perhaps I'm, I'm of my generation. Sorry, that is that, that is a very long tirade from me. Um, you know, and I... And I Believe it or not, I've actually agonised about whether I should go and see the bloody thing, because how can I talk about it when I haven't gone to see it? But actually, I've got an, I've got a cast iron excuse. I can't see it because it's not come out in the Isle of Man yet. It doesn't come out till about December the 7th. So, right. so nobody can have a go at me for not having gone to see it. Well, that's fair. Uh, I am going to add to your, uh, your 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 angst, however, and point out that uh, I do get a subscription to the New York Times, an online subscription, and then there was an article in the Times about what to do after you've seen Napoleon, and the number one item on the list was go read Andrew Roberts' biography. <laughs> so, yeah, well, that, that that does not make me any happier. I didn't think it would. I didn't think it would. Um, all right, I saw Ryan uh, raised his hand. Thank you very much, Ryan. Uh, welcome to the uh, welcome to the show today, Ryan. Um, this is taking me back, by the way, to the days of Zoom class uh, when I taught uh, you know twenty five high schoolers in a Zoom classroom back in twenty twenty, which was um, a, a deal more difficult than uh, dealing with uh, you know eight or ten uh, respectful adults. Let's put it that way. Uh, Ryan, welcome to the podcast this morning. 
Uh, hello, sir. I just wanted to make a couple of observations. The first is, I don't know why um, we're sat here with a bunch of Napoleonic historians reviewing this. Surely we should have the likes of Gary Sheffield and Spencer Jones, historians <laughs> of the First World War, to discuss trenches in Flanders. Um, <laughs> that seems to feature quite heavily. Um, and um, I know Charles was uh, talking about there being better Napoleons out there. I'd go as far as to say I think the Napoleon in Bill and Ted's uh, 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 excellent adventure probably was <laughs> slightly more accurate uh, uh, and sort of uh, <laughs> in-depth portrayal. But um, the, as much as the trench scenes are uh, good for a laugh, I have to say there is nothing I've enjoyed more over the last 24, 40 hours than tweeting one word at every naval historian I know, and it's the word boats. Um, I, I don't know if anybody else laughed out loud, but uh, I, I, I'm aware that quite a lot of people did. <laughs> so that was, that was all I wanted to jump in with. Um, oh. and, uh, and my sympathies for dear Michael Broers. I hope he was well paid and that um, he is, is somebody's given him a bottle of whiskey and sent him away to hide until it's all over. Because I'm quite sure he was ignored from start to finish. I I can only imagine, and I'll I'll let some of our our more learned colleagues chime in on that one in a minute. But I did actually write that down um, that apparently the Royal Navy's only contribution uh, to the film was uh, to feed Napoleon an excellent breakfast at the end of the movie and to get complained about having a lot of boats. Uh, had the word Trafalgar uh, having never been mentioned and the name Horatio Nelson never having been uttered throughout the entire film. Uh, again sort of add that to the list of things that how do you make a napoleon movie without either of those things so those are excellent points ryan believe, believe, believe me bernie believe me you don't have to worry about the royal navy i will tell you a story about the royal navy and trafalgar i was coming home but um, by train from from the office as i as i always did on the northern line in liverpool and as usual the train passed through the suburb of Waterloo, and there is a Waterloo station. And there was a Merseyside family sitting across the way from me, and a boy about 12 or so. And, and, he, and he's like, I know I can't do the accent. And, and he said, Dad, Dad, wasn't, wasn't there a battle at a place called Waterloo? What was that about? And honest to God, the man, you could see him sort of scratching his head and trying to dig up O-level history or something. And, and he says, um, let, let me think, let me think. Oh, I know. That was where Nelson defeated Napoleon. And I ground my teeth as bloody Navy get bloody everywhere. <laughs> so don't worry about the Royal Navy. It's quite capable of taking care of itself. You know, Charles... Charles, that is that is literally a line that should have been in the movie. The only line they needed to put in to, <laughs> to reflect the Royal Navy would have been that one where Napoleon says, wherever you have a foot of water, you find the Royal Navy. He could have just been told about the Battle of Trafalgar after Austerlitz or something. <laughs> but, but this is one of the dumb things, isn't it? It's the script, uh, Alex said earlier, the script is... Is, is really quite poor. And I think this is to do with the fact that it, it, it takes the knees out, it waters down all the good, decent sort of quotes, the epic quotes that you can actually put into this. 
Um, you know, famously in the 1970s, Waterloo, they gave Wellington and Napoleon every single famous thing they ever said through their entire lives to be given in a four-day period. And it works fairly well for a script. But you, it, these people just have no charisma. <laughs> and you have wonderful charismatic things that they can all say. I think the only thing I actually caught that was, was something that one of them actually properly said is when Rupert Everett, who is a very aged Wellington, um, screams at the top of his lungs the thing about uh, what will they think of this back in England at Waterloo, at, in quotes, Waterloo, or whatever we want to call the, that. <laughs> yeah, um, that's a good point. Uh, and and your point about uh, heroic figures uh, and, and charismatic figures, I mean, there is something very much missing from this film, and that is that this is the 18th century. We're, we're edging into, and this has come up in the podcast a couple of times, we're edging into the romantic period. You know, even that moment when he stands in front of uh, the 5th Regiment marching up from, uh, you know, from the coast on his way to Paris is underplayed, uh, you know, it, to this this moment, you know, the, you expect him to give this grand, eloquent, you know, address to the men that we've always heard about and read about, and it just comes off as flat. There's no romanticism in this. It's very brutalist and realist, and and I think if you're going to make a film about Napoleon, you should lean into, you know, the the Jacques Louis David moments. I mean, there is that one moment where he has that cameo where he's sketching the the coronation, the famous coronation painting, but. You know, if you're going to make a spectacle about Napoleon, I feel like you should be leaning into that more. Uh, you know, you should be leaning into that that spectacle. It was a spectacle. You know, the whole empire, um, and it just wasn't there. It it just wasn't there. You you didn't have, you know, to Josh's point. You know, you didn't have uh, Wellington saying the nearest run thing I ever saw. You know, at, at the end of the battle, um, I I compare it very unfavorably. Uh, and I know Charles, you you talked about this, I think, in in Napoleonic questions last in the last episode. I've, I compared very unfavorably to uh, the American film Gettysburg, which is based on the Killer Angels by Michael Shara. <laughs> um, you know that made up a number of conversations, as you pointed out, but it worked because it still relied very much on the historical record and the things they wrote. I mean, these are people who left behind reams and reams and reams of journals and letters and papers. You could, if you're fabricating conversations, at least use the source material. This is the gods in general version, not the Gettysburg version, trying to do too much in too short a space of time. I, I think that's right. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I actually, uh, I, I actually got to see Gods and Generals at a premiere. Um, I uh, was in college when the film came out, and I went to Washington and Lee University in Lexington, Virginia, which for folks who are not familiar with American geography, that is, it literally shares a property line with the Virginia Military Institute, uh, which is where Stonewall Jackson uh, was a professor before he became a general in the Confederate Army. And they did a black tie gala premiere at uh, VMI for that film. And a friend of mine, I got two tickets because one of our professors at Washington and Lee 
um, refused to go see, you got courtesy tickets to go, but refused to go see that. Um, I don't remember what words professor Delaney used, but basically I refuse to go see anything that glorifies the lost cause. Um, and so the tickets ended up in my hands and a friend and I actually got to go see the black tie premiere of that film at VMI, which was actually very interesting. Although the movie was, as you say, disappointing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, other thoughts. Um, we have a couple other folks on the podcast. Uh, I believe Hans, uh, do you have anything you'd like to add to uh, our discussion this morning? Well, I live in the diaspora, also in my area. The film hasn't uh, wasn't available uh, on 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 cinema. I okay. just can comment from the snippets on YouTube. Well, I I take it lightly. I have to say, for me, it's just a, f- a film, a Hollywood movie. And um, what I would uh, expect is at least entertainment, but what I guess it's like sharp, another boring fart. So um, uh, uh, otherwise, it's a bit like Monty Python, I have to say, like when the pyramids get hit uh, or when Napoleon is clutching his uh, ears because he's afraid of the noise of the guns. I think this is hilarious, actually. <laughs> Uh, uh, and otherwise, I think, um, f- what good historical films have you seen in the past? Or, or let's say, what good historical films of the 18th century have you seen in the past? And I think it's 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 very difficult to, to, to catch uh, yeah, the spirit or the, 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 well, the time, how, how it looked like. And... It's maybe Barry Lyndon like uh, with the, where they where they did did an effort to to create a bit of of of, of the spirit, and and I think we shouldn't dissect it um, from the historical point of view because it, that it would be disappointment only. But um, just it seems that it's not even entertaining, and I fear it won't be a success. It's l- most likely like Master and Commander. Where nobody was in the in the audience when when I watched it, there were two or three people. So let's see, but hopefully it sparks some interest and people get interested and read some book or some good books, not the recommended ones <laughs> from the Time uh, magazine. But um, the best uh, biography of Napoleon is not available in English; it's only available in German and in Dutch, and it's written by Jacques Presser. Uh, a Dutchman, and I recommend everybody to read it. And in case you cannot read German or Dutch, learn it. This is the biography you have to read. This is right. this is this is a mind changer. All right. Well, that's that's excellent. Uh, that's it, excellent to hear. Thank you. Can can I come in on this? Um, Absolutely, Charles. I've I've got very strong opinions about um, the duties and responsibilities of filmmakers. Um, the fact of the matter is, I might not like it, but the fact of the matter is that the vast majority get most of their history, such as it is, from films and to a lesser extent television. Um, those of you who are plugged into my uh, into my Twitter feed, um, Ryan, I think you are. are you, sir, are you the nice Irish? Yeah. I am indeed for my sins. Sir, it is a pleasure to meet with you. And you too, too. sir. Um, But one thing we've been discussing is the Patriot. (laughs) Uh, 
and and in the Patriot, of course, um, the British are, put, are portrayed essentially as as an 18th century Waffen SS. Um, you know, burning people alive in farms and 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 so on and so forth. That sort of film, at worst, stokes up hatred. Um, and at best, fuels ignorance and prejudice. I am quite blunt about this. I think that people who are as powerful as Ridley Scott people who have as many resources as, as Ridley Scott and there are other names I could mention obviously they have a public duty to use those 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 resources responsibly somebody said on Twitter but it's a film it's entertainment no it's not just a film this is a public statement about a very well-known, indeed, very important historical figure. It is a work of historiography. I, I sincerely hope, actually, that, that, that far fewer people will, 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 will happen to see it than will, than will read my books. I think it's so bad that this is a possibility. But, but there you go. I, I think it is a cop-out to say it's entertainment. It really is. That is sorry, but there you that, go. That is an interesting. That is an interesting thing that Charles brings up. It's something I've been thinking of. I thought often thought about. You know, the 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 join between entertainment and history. And when you make a history movie, how much do you owe to the to the to the subject and everything like that? And it's the argument that arises between history fans, scholars, and the people who just go for entertainment gives the impression to be honest that you that that you cannot make a good histor historical movie that is based on history that it just can't be done because the argument is just never endingly recycles itself uh, whereas i don't actually see why it has to be so people say oh it's not a documentary oh it's not this so you're not supposed to learn from it but it is based on history at the same time I personally don't see the problem with making an entertaining movie that that somewhat tries to stay close to what it's what it's doing. It's it's easier obviously if you do if you create a fictional character and plop him into a historical place. Uh Napoleon, however, is a real person. That's, I think, the strength of your argument there, Charles. Why do you bother to make a movie about Napoleon if you're not going to try and present some sort of coherent truth to the record and make it entertaining. That is historical fiction, essentially. You make history entertaining so more people can interact with it. Uh, Josh raises an excellent point because I will say that one of the first things I saw in my social media feed when I got back from the movie on Wednesday was it was in a Facebook group for advanced placement European history teachers. I've taught advanced placement European history in the United States in the past, not this year, but in the past. So I'm a member of that group was who's seen the movie. Is it good? Can I show it to students? 
and, you know, looking for feedback, you know, is this something I can show to my class? Is this something I can send my kids to, you know, to enrich their experience through the class? Um, and, you know, the general consensus is don't bother. Um, but, um, you know, it's, it's an interesting point you raise because there is that element of, is it going to edify and entertain? And where is the line between edification versus entertainment and as Charles points out, do historic people making historical films have responsibility? I mean, I, I think, you know, that master and commander as, as Hans reference is probably my favorite film of the period. And it has that element of you take a fictional character and you plop them into the setting. Um, but you still can come away with a really deep understanding of some of the historical details. I've shown that to my classes in the past. Um, because I do think it's, it's valuable. And as an entree into, um, you know, further study in the period. Um, Alex, you uh, you disappeared on us for a while. Is everything all right? Oh yeah, yeah. I just you know running a tight tight boat here. <laughs> <A> tight boat. <laughs> with, 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 I got my my three kids running running crazy, and so um, no, no. I'm, I've been doing, uh, listening, enjoying the conversation, and. Um, uh, I, I I agree with everything that's been said, and actually wanted to uh, to maybe echo what Hans was saying and uh, about Jacques Pressa's biography, which is indeed quite interesting. Um, although I think what Andrew Roberts is saying, uh, oh sorry, uh, what what Charles is saying about Andrew Roberts being kind of uh, one extreme representation of Napoleonic historiography. Same can be said about Jacques Pressat, but on the other side of it, uh, Pressat's vision of Napoleon is quite nihilistic, mm -hmm. and I don't think um, I don't think we, uh, I don't think I can subscribe to either extremes. You know, essentially, what I'm, I'm, I'm trying to convey, um, and of course, the biography is. Uh, is dated by now in that sense. Interpretation may, you know, you may take quibbles with, but we have decent biographies uh, that came out in the last 10, 15 years uh, that I hope uh, next generation of movie makers will actually consult and, and read. Um, this is this is a, this is a sort of this this the addition to the the point I was making before, actually, I think, and that is. Um, when somebody goes and watches a movie like The Patriot or Napoleon or Braveheart or any of the big howlers, you'll call it, from a historical perspective, and I hate, I hate that Ridley Scott has made The Patriot look good, okay? <laughs> has, I, has he really done that, Josh? Yes. Yes, the battles in The Patriot actually make sense. They use their muskets. There's a semi-coherent storyline. Uh, it's not. It's. It's. I'm very disappointed that this is the. This is the case. But that is indeed an achievement. It is very order. I know. Uh, I don't know how to feel about it. But the point is, when you watch movies like that, you don't get a head start. Yes, you can get interested in something. You get excited about it. I must read more. But when you start reading about it, you become challenged by the things that the scholars and the experts have written. Essentially, you have to re rethink everything that you've just watched. If you come at it from a place of zero knowledge or just a little bit of knowledge, which is sometimes more dangerous in, in that sort of sense, dangerous is an odd word to use for it, but nevertheless, um, 
you actually start from a place of of minus you you it's minus knowledge if you take the napoleon movie and then go and start reading about napoleon whereas it would be lovely if you could have a head start where you're where the movie makers have again you're dealing with a historical subject you're dealing with napoleon and i just want to know what people are thinking when they say i must make a biography a, bi a biopic about napoleon and then basically as ridley scott has done say well you weren't there you don't know listen like do what i tell you it's a it's a great you know it's a great point you know what do you what's the thought process when you go into that um let's let's bring it around to some more thoughts about other parts of the movie that we found obviously there's a lot to sort of pick apart here from a historical standpoint um you know the large gaps and i think i saw on on twitter the other day or or in the last 24 to 48 hours um I don't remember who said, uh, and it stuck with me. Someone pointed out that the, the years of 1813 and 1814 are among the most fascinating of the period, and yet they're completely ignored. Uh, we go straight from Moscow to first exile, um, and there's nothing on Leipzig, nothing on the Battle of Nations, nothing on you know the Russian uh, movement into the center of Europe and the, there's a complete absence of Russian troops in Paris uh, and the, uh, in, in the, the scene where he's sent into exile the first time. Um, you know, why, why would we think, I mean, obviously we know, but you know, sharing out, you know, why is that such a glaring omission? It's, it's like you said, someone said at the beginning, you don't hear the word Spain and you barely hear the word Germany. Um, the Austrians are important in the movie to some extent, but the occupation of Germany, you know, the, 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 the massive fighting between in 1813 is not there. I would actually go so far. Some people were, were relieved to see the Prussians appear at Waterloo. I think actually they're, they're, they're more forgettable than they are in the 18, in the 1970 movie, to be honest. Um, Blücher says one line, and that's it. And they come in as a horde from the wrong side of the field, and that's it. Meanwhile, the entire British army, all composed of guards for some reason, and two riflemen, uh, you know, uh, win the battle by themselves. There's no conception of the scale. You're talking about the, the, the Allied um, parade into Paris. If you're going to do a movie, an epic movie, you know, a big movie that entertains people why are you cutting these things and why are you missing these moments i think it was very true i think ryan mentioned it earlier and i think alex also touched on this possibly elsewhere but actually i would have preferred it if they had either just uh, they had made a decision are we going to do this movie about napoleon the soldier and the leader or are we going to do this movie about napoleon the the man and the statesman I would have respected it so much more if they'd done the man and the statesman, to be honest, because actually that's a side we don't get to see. And it would make more sense for the relationship with Josephine and Mary Louise, who is, again, she's in there for a scene, but <laughs> uh, she's, she's just, nobody knows where she goes after that. Um, these I are vitally important things to, 
to Napoleon's story. And they've just chose so many wrong things to focus on. I've been thinking about the issue of trying to, if you like, convey an impression of Napoleon um, rather than telling a story. And I've been casting around for um, for precedents or comparators or whatever. Um, the best thing I've been able to come up with in my head um, is the 1968 film Cromwell with Richard Harris. Now, in many, many respects, it is a dreadful film. Um, it's it's shot full of howlers. Um, it cuts out whole chunks of the English Civil War. Um, I mean, you leap almost literally overnight from, from Edge Hill to Naseby. And the portrayals of both are ludicrous. Um, yet, for all that it is a terrible film, you do get quite a coherent, quite a plausible picture of Cromwell. He comes over in, in, in quite a sort of vibrant, powerful way. Um, now, he's, 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 he's not the Cromwell that I would create personally, from, from my knowledge of the period, but he is at least a plausible Cromwell. And, and you could imagine... Walking out of the cinema with that film under your belt and having at least some understanding of what the English Civil War was about on a very, very simplistic level. Now, as, as I think I said um, when we were talking about it last week, um, the film where, where Napoleon, sorry, the, the, the scene where Napoleon opens fire on the pyramids, that could actually be quite clever. That that is that you know if you want a, a if you like a one shot pardon the pun one shot representation of what the Egyptian campaign was all about well it's naked imperialism it's colonialism it's it's the rebirth of French colonialism and in, indeed the birth of French colonialism in North Africa and and having Napoleon actually open fire on the pyramids it's it's historical rubbish. But it's actually quite a neat image. This doesn't, this doesn't, uh, you know, it's not me backing down from what I'm saying about, you know, filmmakers have a, have a responsibility to the truth. But there are different ways of having a responsibility to the truth. That's what I'd say. And incidentally, can anybody, can anybody come up with, a, with an alternative to Cromwell, a, a, an alternative biopic? Because um, I've been racking my brains and I've not really been able to come up with one. It's it's very tricky. Um, Alex has has an idea there. Yeah, Alex. N not about um, not about that. Um, but c come to me in a second. I've been trying to um, get on with other things, but I just can't resist having been listening to you all coming online, even though I should be resting and doing other things. <laughs> Good for you. You have something to share with us? I have I have thoughts. I have well, feelings. We would okay, love so, to hear them, Alex. Well, so it's three things. First is a question. For somebody who hasn't been able to see the movie yet, how's the cinematography? You know, this could have, that could have been a brilliant cinematographer who um, is feeling <laughs> let down by all the coverage and maybe they did a brilliant job. But so so that that's that's of interest. Um, the second point was about 
just maybe a, a bit of sympathy for those trying to come up with a film about the life of Napoleon Bonaparte because of the narrative difficulty of telling the story. There's, there's so many different ways to tell the story. And you've got that Hollywood three-act structure that they, they have to follow that, that sort of means that inevitably things are going to have to be left out now and then. Um, so is, is there a case for feeling sympathy on those grounds? Um, and then in, just in general, I'm not quite sure what to make of uh, all this um, because so my, my um, inconveniently resurgent long COVID has, has meant that it hasn't, yeah, I've sort of known for a while, I'm probably not going to be able to go and see this in the cinema, which I felt was a shame. But then I had quite a good idea, which after this would be to, as a little side project to pop up and uh, on, on the podcast feed, could be the Napoleon movie Quarterly, which takes the uh, epic cinema achievement of Sir Ridley Scott 15 minutes at a time and does 15 minutes of the movie in each episode. But I'm not sure. I'm not sure that I'm going to bother after this. You would, you, you <laughs> would have a lot to talk. No, honestly, it, it is quite a teachable movie in itself. It is, it is meat for corrections. <laughs> yes. Um, Everything wrong with Napoleon the movie. <laughs> like uh, Andrew Roberts literally said in an interview on Sky News, I think, that oh, the two and a 30, two hour, 38 minute runtime, 38 minutes are probably accurate. Um, <laughs> and that is Andrew Roberts saying that. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, well yeah, what about the cinematography, though? Yeah, is, that, is that good? Does it let's, look play, good? Let's, let's play the game, Bernie. Why don't we play a game? What's good about it? Yes, <laughs> let's. I, I, I do want to, and I'm going to circle back, because I think uh, Dan had a comment about uh, the, bio, the biopic, though, but I do think we want to come to that, uh, what was good about it. But, Dan, we're going to come to you first, and then and then we'll go around and say, what, did, what, what actually did we take away that we actually did like about it? So, Dan, what's, uh, what are you sharing? I think you were talking about uh, Gregory Peck as MacArthur and Inchon as a good example of a bio. Yeah, I, I, as I recall, the movie is called Inchon. And it's it's Gregory Peck as MacArthur, and it's got you know MacArthur. I mean, there's historical problems, and my recollection is MacArthur is praying, waiting for that Inchon works out as an excuse to delay the withdrawal order, some foolishness like that. But as a um, <laughs> narcissistic, since we're in the Napoleonic tradition, I'm sure Charles Estee won't object to that characterization. But like he, it, like you get the persona. Uh, I haven't seen that movie, and I don't know how many decades. But you get the persona of MacArthur as this imperious narcissistic. I mean, they've got the line about Eisenhower, the best clerk I ever had. I mean, and that movie, if I recall it, I think it might even start at. 41. So like it skips large parts of MacArthur's life, but, and I guess it's really about Inchon, but it kind of does a good story that says, I want to learn more about that. The one thing I would say just on the one good thing besides the costumes, the cinematography is horrible, by the way, Uh, that filter that they put on everything just destroys everything. But there are several scenes that look like the famous oil paintings of the period that are clearly staged absolutely properly and all of us can probably pick out at least 12 marshals and 14 members of the court because they're all in their right positions after that it just goes to pieces 
but, which is uh, aping Kubrick in um, Barry Lyndon in trying to get the uh, reproduce the pictures. So even that's not that original an idea. They do the same thing in uh, Gettysburg in a couple of locations. There are a couple of yeah. hits in the film Gettysburg where they reproduce famous uh, Civil War paintings, uh, they, sort of they, stage they moments. In, in Gettysburg, they even go one step further and they create a a a, um, a romantic death portrait scene for um, Reynolds that does not exist in actual painting form. Yes, but. Uh, also, uh, movie-wise, biopic-wise, Patton might actually be a decent... Okay. If you want to get a flavor of a person, um, that's pretty good. Again, I, I personally don't believe a movie must be 100% documentary accurate. In fact, I think that accuracy can ruin an entertainment feature as as much as it can um you know as inaccuracy can ruin it uh it's 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 more uh, i said at the beginning the movie is weird because it it's paced almost like a documentary in its jumps and attempts to fill in his life and trying and going for an authenticity and this feeds into what's good about it the setting, the, the setting and costumes are very good. Uh, the music is also quite good, and there are, I mean, uh, five or so independent scenes, which I thought, if the rest of the movie was like that, it would be very good. I kind of liked Napoleon's weirdness, his strangeness. In a way, it's it, it's too focused on because he's he had a strangeness about him, and it's too focused on. It's too zoomed in on that. It's the only thing you get from him. But but when, for instance, he 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 comes into Moscow, like I think the Moscow scene was probably one of my favorite scenes. I guess just for its impact when he's he's wandering through the Kremlin or whatever it is, and he's calling out in this sing song voice, "Where are you, little boy?" <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm going to expand on that a little bit, Josh, and I will say that my, probably the most compelling sequence for me, and to, to kind of continue on this theme of things I liked about the movie, was the bits and pieces of the Russian invasion, because I did like, and you know, there was some definitely some inaccuracies about how some of that was portrayed, but if you're looking for an impression of what the, if you're looking for sort of the overall impression of what the invasion of Russia was like, you know, the sequence where, you know, the column is ambushed by the Russians and then they pull back into mm -hmm. the trees and then they've pinned okay. up, you know, French soldiers on the trees. That's sort <laughs> of, that's something you can say, okay, well, this was, maybe this didn't exactly how it happened, but this is kind of the sense of what that was like for the French as they're ever expanding supply okay. lines into Russia. So I kind of like that from sort of a teachable yeah. standpoint to say, well, you know, maybe this isn't 100% accurate, but it does give you a flavor. It's a, it's entertaining, yes. I I and I'm on record as talking to Alex as soon as I came out of the cinema about the eighteen twelve thing. The demon forest Cossacks with their tiny artillery and epic knife wielding skills uh is is indeed epic. It, that's that's an impressive sort of 
visualization of what the French literally thought the Cossacks did. You know, they thought they were these semi mythological creatures that just appeared and disappeared. Um, the problem is that it leans too heavily on a lot of old myths, actually, now that we bring this up. The 1812 campaign is a good example of the fact that it regurgitates very old myths about Napoleon. You know, the 1812, that the 1812 campaign all happened in the winter and everything's cold and there's only Cossacks out there. You know, the, the actual ru two Russian armies are not there. And then Borodino, is, as I think David said at the beginning, is almost certainly was meant to be Marengo in an earlier edition of the script. <laughs> um, and that's probably meant to be Kellerman's charge or something like that, which Napoleon, of course, leads himself. Um, <laughs> and so I, I, I get what you're talking about. It's an interesting, teachable thing. But I think the Russian moments for me was actually the burning of Moscow, that I think was quite impressive. Where he, I think the relationship between Napoleon and the Tsar is actually one of the more interesting things in the movie that what that could have been very interesting in a, in a standalone thing. I'm very interested in that. And uh, I liked the fact that it tied together. I didn't think he had the courage. And then when the Tsar comes and talks to Josephine, he says, Probably my favorite line in the movie, the Tsar says, I know what it's like to be underestimated. So there are probably, like you say, there are definite, the 18, we, they could have shown the 1812 campaign with more credit to the Russians. Where is Kutuzov? <laughs> where, where, is, where are the, all the, where is the Russian army? You know, but it's, it's fair to say there are moments I liked and there are things you can get out of it. And I think that we've we've touched on this before actually it i did not expect it to make napoleon look so bad and i was surprised by this i was expecting like charles that it was going to be sort of a hagiography or something like that instead it's almost a character assassination hans has his hand up so we'll go to hans uh yes but i think we are over critical i disagree with charles Estelle. this is a movie it's not a documentary. We expect from this movie to be better than history books. How many crap history books by professors did you read about Napoleon? Why should this film be better? I mean, this is a, I don't know. And then this whining about the Patriot that the British looked like the Waffen SS. I tell you as a German, look at uh, films about the Second World War, what I should think how Germans are portrayed. And by the way, the British, there were the villains in the 18th century, in the 19th century. Oh, everybody was the villain in the 19th century. <laughs> uh, uh, that much is true. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so uh, this, is, this, is, this, is not a, this is not a documentary. I understand, I'm, Hans. I'm not asking for it to be a documentary. Um, oddly enough, I, I hear everything that Josh was saying a little bit earlier about um, if you're trying to make a historical film, um, well, frankly, it's going to be inevitable that you have to leave things out, you have to elide, you have to simplify. Um, yes, I mean, I, I, I accept that completely. But I think it can be done within a certain spirit. I mean, if you take um, the Second World War film, A Bridge Too Far, it's, it's not a brilliant film. It's rather sort of heavy going and clunky and so forth but at least it does try to operate 
within the parameters of the historiography of the time. It's very heavily based on Cornelius Ryan's book um, of the same name. Um, I think that it is possible to make historical films which do not engage in the same idiocies as we've seen. Why is it necessary to mess about with Waterloo or for that matter, Borodino to the extent, not, not Borodino, I think not so much as Austerlitz to the extent we've seen it's, it's there's no need for it. The, the, yes. the, 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 the truth is stranger than the fiction. I, the, sorry. I'll, I'm no, no, no. I, I was going to just actually say more or less that Charles, and that is that do you need, I mean, the historical record gives us such amazing stories to begin with. Uh, as you say, uh, truth is stranger than fiction. There are so many great stories that are real and do have the historical record on their side. Why leave those out? Why go out of your way to invent things when the historical record has provided us with such good stories to begin with? And I think that's something that, that a lot of um, historical filmmakers and you know historical fiction writers, to a great extent, um, ignore. You know, and and when I find dissatisfactory historical fiction, it's because there isn't enough relationship with the source material um, to really make it. Uh, connected. Um, Alex, your hand is up. And uh, I noticed, I will note that uh, Professor McKipperitze had to leave us uh, today because he had another commitment, but we thank Alex for his participation and um, thank him for being with us today. Uh, but uh, Quartermaster General Stevenson, I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll call on you. Yeah, and um, uh, thanks to Alex um, M for, very much for being here. He does so much with, you know, uh, it's amazing that he fits us in at the weekend. So that, that's great. Um, I think the reply to Charles is, um, I, I think the clue is that we're talking about a spectrum between accuracy and inaccuracy. But if um, you get a chance to listen to some of the interviews that Ridley Scott has done, for example, I listened to his interview with Dan Snow on the History Hip podcast. And you see that the slapdash approach is one coming from either, well, you could call it supreme self-confidence or, or arrogance. It's the very, very broad brushstrokes of someone who just doesn't care that much um, and, is, and is more interested in um, making a film than, yeah, he's refusing to care, which of course is deeply frustrating and erasing for someone like Charles, but, uh, but and perhaps that is ultimately the problem with, with a film like this, is that it, it's, it's that if there's a, if we were, we were expecting to talk about a match between historical fact and, and, and fiction, and this is a totally different sport being played, which we're not entirely sure what the rules are, but it doesn't seem to be very good. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a that's a good point. Is I think part of why this is such a been sort of a polarizing moment for us is not so much the content of the film itself. And I I think you know maybe we'd be having a little bit of a different conversation about our reaction to the film if in a run up to the film, you know, the director hadn't been so dismissive of 
you know, our collective uh, wisdom as historians in the historical community to begin with. If he, uh, if he'd said, you know, I did my best and, you know, we, we consulted a lot of historians and, you know, but it's a film and, you know, it's not meant to be taken seriously and, you know, appreciate their comments, but, you know, I'm going to make a film. Maybe we'd be having a different conversation and maybe be feeling a little more charitable towards it than, you know, if, if the director hadn't been quite so dismissive of us, uh, or, and, and I, I very selfishly include myself in that discussion, I'm not nearly in the category of some of the other people who are sitting around this virtual table today. Um, but, uh, you know, dismissive of historians in general. Ryan. Um, just in response to Alex's point, um, this, this isn't the Ridley Scott of old, because anyone who's seen The Duelist knows he did at one point care. The uniforms are accurate. The haircuts are accurate. The environment's accurate. The Harvey Keitel's character is an unrepentant Bonapartist who's uh, surviving in a country he hates is completely accurate and illustrates just what was going on at the time. So that's the other disappointing point. We know when he cares, he can make a great film about this era back when he had no money and therefore had to focus on script, characterization, cinematography. And I just wonder whether he's got far too much money. And the other point I will make is um, he's not the only one giving those kind of interviews about this movie. I've seen some comments from the military advisor. Um, so not Michael Broers, God love him, but um, the, uh, 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 the guy who did the boot camp, some ex-Special Forces chap with... Uh, uh, what I get, what I'm told is very, very little historical knowledge, and quite frankly, a seething contempt for historians that dwarfs anything Ridley Scott said to date. So I think that just adds to the whole disappointment um, at the moment. Uh, Dan, I would be incredibly tolerant of historical violations if this was a good movie. This is a tr an atrocious movie. I mean. The Siege of Toulon, there's liberties in it, but that was actually a good sequence, right? Now, it wasn't necessarily a historical sequence, but it was a good sequence. But as the movie went on, it's clear he got bored. He lost track. It's like he ran out of money. He ran out of time. Oh, I'm up to 75 running hours. Maybe I need to not do these other things that I planned. If the story was Napoleon, I mean, at, at a moment, I thought this was a Napoleon and Josephine love story, which could have been a great movie, too, with with all the great stuff of Egypt, Toulon, and the coronation, like that all worked. But then suddenly that ends, and then we have the movie of Napoleon Wants a Baby. And then we have, I mean, I would I would have been okay if they had after basically converted Austerlitz into Wagram and said that's when he dumps Josephine and gets, gets Marie-Louise and the child. Like if that was the plot line, if that was, but he didn't even shred history in the name of a good movie. That's the tragedy here. Yeah, I mean, uh, that was actually the very first note I took was was this was both uh, it was too long and over ambitious by half. Uh, you know, it, it's there's trying to do too much, and and that's the question. And I think we've touched on it a couple of times. Is this question of is this too much to actually make a movie? And I think Dan's point of trying to condense it down into taking a more episodic 
you know, tell the story of, of Napoleon and Josephine and make a love story out of it. And this great heartbreak, I will say, I thought the divorce scene was actually very interesting because it was kind of clear that they're both still have feelings for each other. I thought it was a little overplayed and I, I'm not a fan of Phoenix's acting in general in the film, but, um, you know, from a, from a love story point of view, you know, that's a big moment and you tell that story, but then there's all this other stuff that's in it and so many abandoned plot lines, you know, some of which I mentioned before, you know, the, the perception of him as a Corsican brute, um, which Talleyrand, Talleyrand was criminally underused in this film. Uh, Talleyrand could have been a much bigger presence and there was no, uh, you know, famous line about Talleyrand. We all know the one, I'm not going to repeat it for the, uh, for the podcast, but anybody who's listening knows what Napoleon thought of Talleyrand. Um, you know, you could have, drill down a little bit on that. Um, you could have drilled down on you know, the, the dissolution of the marriage and, you know, the, the quest for an heir, but it just feels like there was no focus. He's like, I'm just going to take all of this and just try and cram it in and hope it works. And it's, it's the same thing I tell my students when they're writing essays, uh, for me on tests, it's, it's avoid the spaghetti approach. Don't throw everything at the wall and hope something sticks. Make sure you've got a thesis and make sure that you're you know telling the story. Uh, yes, absolutely. I think David has his hand up. Oh, David. Yeah, it, it was just a feeling I had with a lot of it was that the um, what was done could have been done so much better. Um, and certain things that you, you think of the expense that they went to the scene in the coronation, which is very good. And yet it was what on there for three or four minutes. Um, there was no real sort of explanation as to how they got to the coronation, but it's it's like uh, well, <laughs> the the Kellerman's charge at uh, Borodino. <laughs> it if they'd done it if they, if they it, this this ridiculous formation of tw sort of twenty four ranks of grenadiers, <laughs> and if they'd done it properly, they set it up fine. I mean, I get the the grenadiers have got to be in open order, otherwise the the actors are going to get hurt, but. If they if they if they'd done a sort of side attack in there and blown up an ammunition wagon um, at a safe, reasonably safe distance, it would have been so much better. Yeah, but it's a, again it, it sort of circles back to this whole idea about the fact that it's it's not just the the history is bad. I take I personally take all the points that people. Give me, and it's 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 the common battle cry, isn't it? Of uh, it's not a documentary; it's entertainment. What are you, you know, etc. You're not supposed to learn anything from it. You're supposed to be entertained from it. the 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 thing about it is that I think that if I knew nothing about Napoleon, I'm not sure it would be terribly entertaining. I don't know either. As a movie director with two hundred thousand, two hundred million dollars, whatever it was, what it costs you in story to portray sections authentically, what actually is? Does that make it a bad movie? Does that make it a bad story? I would argue no, and yet the conscious decision is that the audience is not intelligent enough to appreciate showing what actually happened. I think it is 
I don't think it's um, satisfactory to assume that because it's fiction, that because it is not a documentary, even though Ridley Scott seems to want us to believe it is, that you must treat the audience like they're children. Or that, and but this is not a movie for children either. There, the first uh, act has got fair amount of gratuity in it in terms of adult themes. Um, I do not know what the horse thing was about. What is with the cannonball? Did that actually happen? <laughs> uh, give this to my mother. Did he say or something like that? Yeah, he, he took the cannonball out of the horse, the dead horse, and tossed it and said, "Give it to mother." And I'm like, "What?" what is <laughs> and again, that's one of those dropped storylines. You know, there's early in the film, there is this this sense that, you know, he's he's uh, you get hints of it throughout the story that there's this re weird relationship with his mother, but then it, it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, um, I, I, it's it's not that I think that people should get their history from these movies. It's not that I think that it's a bad movie because it's inaccurate. I think it is a bad movie first. I will accept massive historical inaccuracies, stuff that I personally would never write if the story is good, if the characters are good. If you can give me something to follow, then I will follow it and I will just say, yeah, because we, we, we love them. We're, we're all history fans here. The point, half the point of watching these movies is to, is to sort of spot the, spot the things they got wrong, but we want to enjoy the movie too. Right. And if you can't give us an enjoyable movie that we can nitpick about, then we're just going to nitpick it, aren't we? And because it's not very good. <laughs> well, I mean, and I and I said at the top of the at the top of the episode this idea that you know going into the movie you don't have any better understanding going out. I honestly do think it goes one step further than that. In that is that if you don't go into the movie with at least some understanding of Napoleon and his life, you're not going to understand the movie at all. Um, you know, there are probably people who go into the movie who don't know anything about Napoleon who are going to come out going, I don't know what mm. I just watched. There, yeah. there are there are egregious. I things right go ahead charles is yeah, trying charles, to jump go. in go go i'm um, sorry josh um Carry on. yeah i mean funnily enough uh, my partner sinead was 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 reading um uh, a, a some, something that had come up on her facebook page actually about somebody who'd gone to see waterloo and um i mean as many of you know sinead is much much younger than me so this was this was somebody from um, you know, who wasn't that far out of, uh, of undergraduate days. And, um, you know, he, he was basically saying, what was all that about? You know, what, what, what was all that about? You know, what, what am I supposed to make of it? He was, he was, yeah, it was a he, yeah, yeah. Um, he, he was completely bemused and, and quite vocal about it. So, yeah, I, I, I hear that point. Yes, it's it is a puzzling like I say it's a puzzling movie. I don't know what it's trying to say. To be honest, the closest I can come to seeing what it's trying to say from an artistic perspective, from a story perspective, the thing that Ridley Scott wants us to feel and understand about Napoleon is that he did everything for Josephine. Literally, that his every motivation was driven by Napoleon uh, by by Josephine. I figured this out, and it was one of the moments I started to give up on the movie, when, after the three-minute Battle of the Pyramids, which I thought was going to be actually the best battle scene in the movie because it's so simple for him to do, it's barely on the screen. You, you blink and you miss it. He says, he, he, 
it is it is absolutely 100% coherently given to the audience that Napoleon leaves Egypt because Josephine is having an affair. And this ties back to very old, mostly British propaganda that the wimp Bonaparte abandoned his army in Egypt because he couldn't control his woman. This is the sort of thing that you that you are fed as an audience member, and you will leave that cinema if you do not know anything about Napoleon, thinking that this has been put on screen by a director with $200 million, and that lends itself to a false authenticity. I'm sorry, it's, it's just people will believe that. I, we are and- going to have people tell us this in the future. No, I, and you're right, but I could even, but to your point earlier, Josh, is I could almost forgive that if there was some payoff to that as a story. Oh yeah. Yeah. Sure. And there really, and there really isn't, that's the problem. I think in the long run of the film is that there is no payoff to that piece of it. And, and I was absolutely, I mean, like you, I was horrified when that came up. I was like, oh my God, this is really where we're going with this. But I'm then not it, even a big fan of Napoleon. I'm not. I, I was a. I was. A, I was sad for him. I'm completely with the French critics on this. It's borderline British propaganda. <laughs> so, um, all right. Uh, we have been at this for about an hour and fifteen minutes, or a little bit less now, um, or a little bit more now. Uh, I think we'll. I think we've we've talked over a lot of it. Alex is waving yeah, his let, hand. Let David and let David and Alex. Uh, David, David <laughs> still has his hand up from earlier. I think I don't think he ever put it down. <laughs> I, uh, Ryan, after you, after you, Ryan. Well, all I wanted to say was um, um, uh, George and Alex earlier mentioned that um, hopefully someone will make a better film in the mo- in the future. But um, Spielberg is at work at the moment on his miniseries, so I was just wondering what lessons you think he and his team should take away from this in terms of doing a better job? Because I'm, I'm quite sure, well, I would put money that um, any historical consultant they'll approach has probably appeared on the podcast at some point, <laughs> fingers crossed. So uh, uh, perhaps somebody here might already know more about it than uh, 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 they're letting on. But I'm just wondering what lessons that he should pick up from the movie. Josh, I saw you wave on that one. I was waving at the, the guest that Alex has. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have one of those lurking around back here too, but he's watching TV. Um, that's a great question. You know, what lessons do you think uh, Spielberg? And, and I, I will say that, you know, speaking for myself, I have a little bit more faith that Spielberg has a little bit more respect for the historical profession, given his background with, some of the other things he's done in the past, but um, and the period lends itself to an episodic approach. It's pretty hard to take that Hollywood formula and turn turn it into something. I I've had half an idea forming a. We mentioned Alexander. That I'm surely there's a way you could turn that into a three hour structure. That that aspect of it, but but I think the the way to the way forwards here is that having. Um, been so dismissive what we need to do now is form a committee to draft a half decent movie about 
Napoleon Bonaparte. You know, we need to get together. I think we need a screenwriter to tell us how this three-act structure process works, and we need to work with them to just come up with our own version, basically. That's that's what we need to do. There you <laughs> go. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> I mean, I've spent enough time writing, uh, you know, historical fiction in the period that I've never, ever had a chance to get published, but, you know, I'm in. Spielberg... Spielberg knows his business, and to be honest with you, I would be the last one to even lecture Ridley Scott before he, you know, started to say that nobody knows better than I do uh, about his own business either. He, I think that his previous historical work was good, to be honest. Um, I think he just misread what he misread the audience, to be honest, and how many people actually know quite a lot about Napoleon. Spielberg. It's an open question. I thought that actually this movie was going to be better than it was, at least on scale and entertainment. I do like, similarly think that Spielberg does make very good, creditable movies and series. I think if he was to watch this movie and see the reaction to it, he should be sort of taking the lesson away, at least I would be, that I need to be very clear about who my Napoleon is and why I'm talking about him. Yeah, that's that's a good point, because I don't think Ridley Scott ever really determined who the character was, you know, is and and certainly there's a big palette of him that's that's the lover, that's he's in love with Josephine, and that's what he's doing. But I think there's other elements to that personality. Is he the um you know, the the provincial bumpkin who has an inferiority complex towards, you know, the metropolitan or the metropole? Is he, you know, a brute who wants to conquer the world? Is he the peacemaker he kept talking about? Uh, is he an overgrown child who gives tantrums about boats? I mean, you know, uh, the, those are questions that you have to be consistent in your characterization when you're writing or, or when you're creating. And it, the movie was not. It w- It was clearly not. All right, so we've talked about some good things. We've talked about some pretty bad things. We've we've picked apart the historical, but we've also picked apart the story. Um, you know, do we have... Uh, uh, yes, and uh, Dan is reminding us the portrayal of Wellington was... was uh, we, we haven't really... We mentioned it in passing, but uh, certainly there was some... I, I, I call him Tea and Biscuits, Wellington. He is the imagine he's 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 what people imagine an English aristocrat to be. Um, a little stronger than I thought. It was a better performance than I thought it was going to be for Wellington. Um, I think that it just it they it just again sort of fell a little flat because what they were obviously trying to do is present Wellington as the thing that Napoleon had never faced before, i.e., a general who is not afraid of him which was Wellington's whole deal. I'm not afraid of Napoleon right. at all. He respected him a great deal, but he wasn't afraid of him. He was actually disappointed with him. There's that line from Waterloo where he said, well, the man's just a damn pounder after all. Uh, and, but because you don't actually get why Napoleon is a good general, except that he wins some battles, by tricking the enemy, by the way. Like just, he, he trips them up as they come through the door. It's not nothing clever about it. Um, you don't get the impact of the new guy on the field who says, well, this is the way I'm going to fight this battle. I'm just going to dig in here. Good Lord. (laughs) Um, And I will hold you. And like I say, it's, 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 
it's an in, it's an insult to the German state. It's an insult to the. It's yet another slap in the face to the Belgians uh, and the Prussians. Blücher is nowhere near as impre impressive as he is in the 1970 Soviet version, where at least everybody cheers where his cavalry come onto the fields and he says, you know, raise the black flag sort of thing. It's camp. It's, it's sort of cliched. This is, the, you know, the Prussians are tough sort of thing. But it's it's more impressive than the one scene you get of him in front of his army um, in this. Uh, Tsar Alexander is the best enemy he has in the in the film. Yes. And, uh, and and I think part of the reason we don't really get a sense of Wellington is because, uh, you know, going back to something we said at the very beginning, uh, you know, as far as the movie's concerned, Spain doesn't exist. Um, Nor should so. it, really. I mean, with all respect, he should maybe talk about it. And I was wondering myself, maybe you could have done some more of those vignettes of the paintings, like the Surrender of Madrid or something like that, um, in montages to piece together this lunacy yeah. um and maybe that would have worked the thing is i completely agree to some extent you cannot focus on some of these theaters spain he was only there personally for a little while and you can't obsess about it in a movie about napoleon you can't obsess about wellington you shouldn't obsess about wellington in a movie about napoleon honestly i don't think you should and i come as a wellington fan um but Maybe, maybe this is. Maybe that's one of the more sensible things. Maybe. What what we should do for for our committee is, I mean, the, the answer is you can't have it Napoleon. Well, you could have a movie that's about Napoleon, Napoleon's um, rivalry with Wellington. Although obviously that doesn't work, or Napoleon's relationship with Josephine, or Napoleon and Alexander. That they all sound quite quite interesting movies. But the, the reality is you, you could have a sort of ensemble coalition cast of rivals, which would actually be in its own way relatively close to, to you know, uh, casting Napoleon as a troublemaker, a, a pesky troublemaker who everyone else gets wound up by and struggles to contain might be closer to reality. But anyway, we can save that for our, our, our forthcoming committee meetings. Yes. Yes, indeed. Um, I'm just going to, and then, you know, go, we'll go sort of around the room uh, a final time to kind of wrap up our discussions here. Uh, a couple other things that um, just we didn't really touch on, uh, you know, speaking about the relationship between Napoleon and Alexander. I thought it was very interesting, um, the Treaty of Tilsit, the conversation there about sending an army into the east. And I know that that's been a topic that's been, uh, you know, floated around in a lot. And I imagine that'll get... Um, uh, more talked about in the main podcast eventually, but it, it's, you know, this, this obsession with the East, um, you know, you could have had a moment there from the filmmaking perspective where you tie that to the abandoned conquest of Egypt, um, you know, from a, from a narrative thread standpoint, um, you know, a big piece of that. And that just kind of floats out there. Um, and then nothing happens with it. You know, you don't go back to it. You know, what's the point of even bringing it up? It's, it's, there are all these little threads that get tossed out and never followed up on in the film. Um, and I think that's perhaps the biggest tragedy rather than, than, you know, anything with the accuracy. That's, I mean, that is a fairly accurate uh, thing that they talked about. There was a plan. Yeah. To send a, 
fairly large army. It was never really going to happen. Uh, but uh, And yeah, they did talk. Well, the first thing supposedly Alexander said to Napoleon when he got off the barge was, we can agree on one thing, sire. And they never call him sire. They call him emperor mm. through the entire thing. This like The script is mediocre for an epic movie. Um, uh, but the one thing we can agree on, sire, is we both hate the British. Um, is what Tsar Alexander supposedly said to Napoleon. Um, and why not use that line? Like they to to credit them, they 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 sort of had a conversation about it rather than use the line. And that's the whole thing with the script. They have these conversations based on things that were actually said rather than having them said or delivered. Um, and the the script was certainly weak from that perspective i think it wasn't very rich you know it was yeah it's not very memorable you can't quote it it's not very quotable except for the the mutton the mutton and the boats it's all yeah it's, it's quotable from memes <laughs> you're fat <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> josephine calling napoleon fat um so other final thoughts to wrap us up, Charles, you, I mean, you, as I said, you didn't see the film, but you certainly have heard our discussions. What, uh, what final comment do you have? I've been thinking a lot about uh, the, the issue of film and history. To be honest, I've always thought a lot about the issue of film and history. I mean, in, 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 my, in my teaching at the university, I, I did some work on this. Um, Let me talk about a film which I have seen many times over, which is A Court of Waterloo. Now, I disagree violently with the overall message of the film Waterloo. It is, it is Bonapartist hagiography. I think the battle is incredibly badly staged, though infinitely better than what, what, what little I've seen of, of uh, Ridley Scott's efforts. But focus on the first half hour. The first half hour deals with the story of the abdication, um, the, 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 the return from, from Elba, and, and the, the triumphal progress to Paris. Um, there's very little in the way of historical reality there. I mean, I mean, the fact of the matter is that the vast majority of the French population went, oh my God, he's not back, is he? And, and, you know, they were genuinely horrified about it. Read, read my book, you know, Napoleon, France and Waterloo, the Eagle Rejected. Um, but that's not the point. That half hour I have always regarded as an absolute work of genius when it comes to filmmaking. It conveys the story, it conveys the situation in... Some absolutely brilliant vignettes. I mean, if you think, for example, of the scene where Napoleon is carried up the the, um, the, the, the steps of the Tuileries on the, on the shoulders of the crowd, and he's not actually, you know, going, you know, I'm I'm victorious, I'm back, you know, anti-great sort of thing. He's been carried along, and he looks exhausted, and he looks resigned. And he looks helpless. And that is a brilliant encapsulation of the idea that Napoleon was a prisoner of history. You know, that Napoleon was a, was a prisoner of his situation. It, 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 that, that half hour is a work of genius. And, and I think 
that it is, if you like, go back to the, you know, the, the advice to the advice to Spielberg. Well, bloody well, go and watch that, and that will tell you what to do. Because it was, it was, you know, I still think it's one of the best half hours I've ever seen in a historical movie, despite the fact that I am violently opposed to the message and actually know that the, that much of what is being portrayed is wrong. It is it is actually true. It's true. Waterloo is is much better before they start fighting. <laughs> you know, that's an excellent excellent summation, I think, uh Charles. And hopefully uh Spielberg's I, I, I certainly hope we have I mean I have much better hopes for uh, Spielberg's miniseries. I hope it sees the light of day. Um, you never know with these Hollywood projects uh, until they actually get to the filming stage. Um, and even then, in some cases, they don't ever make it to the screen, as we've seen recently. Uh, films getting cancelled. Exactly. Talking about miniseries, forgive me if I come in. And literally today, um, my my good friend Alexander Burns, with whom I'm you know in fairly close touch with on 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 Twitter. Um, he actually referenced a, I think about 2002 miniseries on Napoleon, and he said that that's the best portrayal of the Napoleonic era he's seen. It's, um, the, it's the French I'd, one. I'd, sorry? It's the French one. Is it? I've never come across it before, so I'm, I'm going to check it out. All right. Well, we'll have to maybe get our brush up on our translation, and uh, maybe it's got subtitles. I don't know. Um, I want to thank all of our panelists uh, for being here today. We've had a great conversation and uh, I think I want to thank all our patrons for uh, coming in and participating in this little group uh, therapy session. Uh, you know, we have a variety of opinions. I want to thank Hans, especially for coming in with, uh, with, with some contrary thoughts. And it's always good uh, as the classroom teachers will tell you to uh, bring in the opposing points of view. You had some excellent points and we thank you for uh, being willing to share those with us today to help drive our discussion. Um, and I want to thank the opportunity to do this uh, to Quartermaster General Alex Stevenson. And uh, thank you very much for letting me step in here and uh, be uh, part of this uh, process. Uh, so we will be back. Uh, I believe if I go back to my notes, uh, this ep this episode is coming out in early December, but our episode 33, our first main episode of season five, uh, will be appearing right around December 3rd on our Patreon for our Patreons who will uh, get an opportunity to uh, get the extended director's cut of that. And then our uh, main episodes will go out to the rest of the feed uh, shortly thereafter on right around December 10th. Again, thank you all for being with us here, Josh and David and Charles and Alex, who's no longer with us, and, and uh, all of our patrons who participated uh, today. Thank you very much, and uh, we'll see you next time on the Napoleonic Quarterly.